tomorrow is an auspicious day because tomorrow is a celebration of the day that Joe Cox was born. Uh, 84 years ago uh, tomorrow. So put your hands together. Joe's birthday tomorrow. Come on. Yeah. I asked him how old he was going to be tomorrow. He told me 64. I said, out boy. <laughs> 64. That's right. And holding. Right? And holding. Praise the Lord. Uh, I, I did have some people ask me about the offering, and they're wondering, you know, who is Martin and Janice? The couple that sits over here, and you've seen little baby Marcus. And baby Marcus is a miracle baby. Baby Marcus was born missing one of his lungs. Baby Marcus was not supposed to be able to live. Uh, and God put that lung in there, and God has done some miracles. But mom and dad had to take a lot of time off to get sick kids. And, and so they, they have basically not been able to work for the last nine months to a year because they've been there. So as they get back engaged in that, this is an opportunity for you to help. You might be saying, well, well some, some people might be going, well, why are we taking an offering for them? I need money too. That's very possible that you do, but all I know is that if I was out of work for that long, I'd really need some help. How many know what I'm talking about? So uh, it's just an opportunity to bless a family, and we uh, just thank you for what you've done this morning. I know that, uh, you know, Martin said I didn't come to church tonight because I don't know quite how to, to handle that. So I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did because uh, I believe that God wants to use us to bless one another, Right? The Bible says that the world will know that we're Christians by what? What, though? Our love for what? One another. It's not by our love for them, ironically. It's our love for one another. And when they see that in operation, when they see that in operation, they go, wow, I, I found a community that, that acts in a way that no other community acts. That's what they need to see when they see the body of Christ. Amen? And so if, if you didn't have a chance to do so you know, just go to the machine afterwards, just write special on the envelope, put, you know, um, you know, family in need, put, you can put their names, whatever, if you can't remember the names, just put it under special, we'll make sure it gets to them, all right, uh, that would be awesome, thank you so much. Well, as you can see, there's a part two up there this morning, uh, that isn't because I couldn't get the mind of the Lord last week, so I just decided to do a repeat, just want you to know that, um, but we're working towards something. Next Sunday is Thanksgiving Sunday. And uh, I know, believe it or not, it's Thanksgiving Sunday. Jenna, favorite day of the year. We are going to eat ourselves into a lather. I'm telling you right now, if you've not had Thanksgiving at the Dowling House, look out. It is spectacular. It is scrumtrulescent. That is what it is. It is, uh, it is amazing, and I'd go on and on about it, but then you'd all be at our house, and there'd be nothing left for me. Don't want that to happen. Uh, I'm a little bit selfish when it comes to my uh, turkey and all the rest of it, but I'm telling you, it's, it's fantastic, our favorite time of the year, and so it is coming up fast. It's next weekend, but we have a special service here uh, next weekend, and, I, and God gave me a, a message for the house a long time ago that I'm sharing next Sunday, and uh, I don't want you to miss out on it, so uh, make sure you, you come, that you, you know, you, you, anybody else that you see missing here this morning, you phone them up this week and say, I don't know where you were today, but you got to be here next Sunday, all right? Uh, if you've got a shift at work and you can switch a shift and give it to some other poor soul who wants to take a, and get paid time and a half for working on a, on a holiday, give it to them. You'll survive without the time and a half. But make sure you're here. This is going to be a great, great day in the house of the Lord. Well, I talked about partnership with God. This is partnership with God part two. And, uh, and I said how the dream is free, but the journey isn't. 
And so uh, I'm going to give more explanation about that this morning. And uh, I'm not going to bother doing any review, really. Uh, I just want to jump right in this morning. Um, I put this quote up, though, on the screen last week. By God's design, a divine human partnership is essential to human flourishing. When we see, you know, the hospitals, and like I said, you could take a trip across this country, and I think you would find that uh, in every community, the hospital was started by the, by the people of God. Now, in, you know, you might get a big city like Toronto where they got a bunch of newer hospitals that were built, you know, but I'm talking about the original hospitals, the, the original desire to care for others, to bring healing and health, were started by Christians all across this country. All across this country, from one end to the other. You could find that your universities were started as seminaries to train people for the ministry. One after another after another. All across this country. Probably the same south of the border. You know what I'm saying? Uh, That the desire to change the world was in the body of Christ. And so they went out and they did everything they could to change the world in which they lived. To make it better. C.S. Lewis once said that it's, it's exactly those who are uh, heavenly-minded that are of the greatest earthly good. Because you've heard that old phrase, wow, they're so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. You ever heard that before? And, and he refutes that by saying it's actually those who are the most heavenly-minded that have been the most earthly good. Those who are focused on the glory of God that have been the most focused on changing this world so it reflected the nature and the glory of God. Are you hearing me? And the church did that in spades for generation after generation. And I believe God's calling us back to that place of impact in our culture again today. You know, the price to become a partner in the family of God was paid by God. Was paid by the Father. So now it's part of your inheritance. It's it's available to you only because of what God has done. You're part of the family because of his passion, his dream, his vision. But you have to understand that dream may be free, but the journey now that he's got you on, he wants and he asks of us something. He's looking for something, not, not to qualify, but because we're qualified. You understand the difference? We don't, we don't serve to be saved, but because we say we're saved, we serve, right? We don't, we don't give to get in, but because we're in, we give. Do you see how this works? That is the kingdom dynamic at work in everyday life. So I want to talk to you really briefly this morning about three things in partnering with God. Partnership with God is, first of all, we're going to talk about this morning, is taking responsibility. That's what it is. So we agree that we're partners with God. We agree that that's what God has set humanity up to be. But the first thing we're going to talk about is that it is taking responsibility. The second thing is that it requires our investment. Partnership with God requires our investment. So it's about taking responsibility, but it also requires investment. And finally, I want you to know that it is the most rewarding way to live. It is, I guarantee you, I promise you, the most rewarding way to live. And for those who have lived hard after themselves and then come to Christ, they get this. Those who have been given much, forgiven for much, I should say, uh, love much, right? And they're, they're so aware of how rewarding a life this is. But for some, this, this is missed on them. May I encourage you today to understand the truth behind 
these three statements. Amen? Let's look at the first one. All right, so partnership with God is taking responsibility. And I put underneath here, a true son or daughter cares as much for what they've inherited as the father who left it to them did. Now think about that for a minute. The true son or daughter cares as much for what they have inherited as the father who left it to them did. This is really important for you to understand. You hear news stories all the time about, you know, uh, people like, uh, uh, what's his name, the uh, head of Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett's not going to be giving much of his fortune to his children. And when, when asked why, he said, well, because they're going to work for it just like anybody else did. He goes, and he, now, now don't get me wrong, he's going to leave them inheritance, he's going to bless them, he's going to sow into them so that they can, you know, continue. But the guy is worth literally like $80 billion or something like that. He intends to, to release it to charity. And then he said his kids are going to be on the same journey, but he's going to give them all the tools to do that. And, to, and, and, and you know what? And they're not upset about that because they respect what Father has given them. The most valuable thing he gave them is not the money, but the most valuable thing is the ability to make the money, the ability to generate it, the ability to do something with it, and they desire to do the exact same thing. Are you hearing me this morning? And if we can appreciate the power of inheritance, when families do receive finances, when they do receive uh, instruction, when they do receive good things from their parents, you know, the true son or daughter, then they care as much for what they inherited as the one cared for it who's giving it to them. This is so important for us. We've got to get a hold of that. And so what that translates into in kingdom is for us to care as much as our Heavenly Father cares. Now let's Look at that word, responsibility, all right? So these were the definitions I came up with offline. It says, responsibility is a duty. That's why it's in bold. Duty to deal with something or have control over someone. It is being accountable or to blame. We don't like that blame part, do we, for something. Uh, Responsibility is a moral obligation to behave correctly towards someone. Responsibility is the opportunity or the ability to act independently and make decisions without authorization. And finally, responsibility is what one is required to do as part of a job or a legal obligation. These are uh, definitions of what responsibility means. And so when we look at partnership with God, we have to recognize it is about taking responsibility. It's about taking responsibility responsibility. What does that look like? It looks like this, that you and I have a duty to exercise control in his kingdom. If we translate this into kingdom language, that first definition was duty. It's we have a duty to exercise control in his kingdom. That responsibility as a partner with God is about being accountable for the progress of the kingdom of the family business. You and I are accountable to God for how this thing turns out. Are you hearing me this morning? We have an accountability to him. That you have a moral obligation to behave as a kingdom partner. Your behavior is dictated to you by your partnership with God. And that you have an opportunity to act and to make decisions as a full partner. You have an opportunity to you, given to you by God, to partner with him. And to make decisions and to do things in partnership with God. That's phenomenal. 
to be given that responsibility is amazing. The creator of the universe has given that opportunity to you and to me. And finally, responsibility means that you're required to fulfill your job or your legal obligations to the kingdom of God. You're required. It's a requirement of us. It's not a requirement to be saved. It's something that's required of us because we're saved, because we're family, because we are sitting as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Well, as a joint heir, this is what's required of us. If we want to walk with Jesus and, and, and enjoy everything that Jesus has afforded for us, then God says, well, there's some things that we need to talk about. There's some things that we need to uh, uh, speak about because there's a certain way in which you need to live if you're going to actually partner with me to transform this world. It's going to require you to exercise some uh, uh, accountability and, and to take uh, you know, control over what has been put in your hands. It's going to require you to, to seek out what the obligations of the covenant agreement are and to exercise them on earth. The journey as a joint heir with Christ is not about coasting in across the finish line. Too many Christians live their life like... Like, it's just, I don't know, like there's, you're all in this walkathon, and all, all that matters is that you cross the line. That's not what it's like at all. It, 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 the Christian journey is not a stroll, it's not a walkathon. No, 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 no. It's more like, it's more like a football game. And it's football season, hallelujah. You can just turn the, the game down or something on this so it doesn't keep echoing, that would be great. You know, the, the reality is, is that. It's more like a football game. Why? Because you look across the line and there's an enemy lined up against you. Right? Every time you get down, line of scrimmage, you, you're, you know, you've got a play from the Lord, you're going to execute that play, there's an enemy right on the other side. How many know what I'm talking about? And it's like a football game in the sense that sometimes you've got to go for the Hail Mary. Sometimes you just got to air it out and you've got to have faith in the other person on the other end of that ball that they're going to catch it and make that play. Right? But you got to do your part as well. And all the linemen, they got to do their part. And for the women or people maybe that don't like football here, uh, even guys, I mean, I apologize, but this is a, it's, it's, it's just so true. I just have to go here. And if you've ever watched football, if you understand the sport at all, you understand in many ways it is like a chess match being played on a field. And they're, you know, they're all looking at different things and, they, and, they, and they're calling plays just by how the other team lines up and they're, they're changing things on the fly. And, and, and they're doing all of this to try and outmaneuver the enemy. That's a lot better picture of the Christian journey than this idea that we're just out for a stroll and all that matters is that we cross the finish line. That's nonsense. What matters is that we defeat the enemy, we run into the end zone, and we go, touchdown! Touchdown! We got a homeless shelter built. Touchdown! We built another hospital. Touchdown! We, we ended up going out into the, into the Philippines and building another community, another hospital, another church. Touchdown! We, we did a, a crusade in this nation and a thousand people got saved. Touchdown! Touchdown! That's what we're supposed to be doing. Amen? Are you getting it? That's what it's like. Now, we also got to realize the enemy doesn't like it when you're scoring touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to put up his best defense as he possibly can. And it's our job to outmaneuver him. Now, here's the thing that makes it different than a regular football game. If we will actually stay plugged in to the coach, it's not really a fair game. It's just not. 
I mean, we can run roughshod over that guy all the time if we'll actually, if we'll actually pay attention. Ted just be like Aaron Rodgers just hooking up with, you know, his wide receiver down the field and bingo, magic, magic. But I'll tell you, the enemy, he's got safeties and corners and he's trying to make interceptions and he's trying to do all that stuff all the time. All that we need to do to win is we need to stay focused and we need to do and take our responsibility. If we don't, if the reason it looks like we're getting our butt kicked so much is because there are too many people not taking their responsibility. It isn't because God is not able. It's just that his plan, whether you like it or not, is to do it through us. And so if you're supposed to be on the field and you're sitting on the bench, guess what? Pretty hard for the rest of the team to get it done when half of the team is sitting on the bench. We got to get off and we got to get on the field and we got to engage in order to defeat the enemy. And then if we will, if we'll all do our responsibility, if everybody does their part, the enemy doesn't stand a chance. We'll break through his line of defense, and we will score every time. But we've got to do it together. It's the only way it works. Are you hearing me this morning? Somebody say amen. So partnership with God is taking responsibility. Secondly, partnership with God requires our investment. It requires our investment. When you understand the importance of what you've received in your inheritance, then you will desire to invest in it. If you understand the importance of it, if you understand just how important this is, then you will invest in it. If we could just grasp how important the kingdom of God is, then we'd invest in it. I people say to me all the time, you know, pastor, I don't know why, you know, tithing, I mean, come on, 10%? Do you actually sell that to people? I'm not selling anything. I'm just talking the Bible here. God had a plan to keep his... His church going to keep the, the, the kingdom going, to keep the, the, the priesthood in, in uh, you know, uh, blessing and not poverty, and to help get the, the news out. And it was the tithe. And you could look at it and say, that just seems ridiculous, but, you know, if our government ran on 10%, wouldn't you all be happy? Hello? And, uh, you know, I was one of these people, I, I, was, I was raised Catholic, how many... How many former Dogans do we got here? Let me see your hands. See, I was, I was raised Catholic, hardcore Catholic. Uh, I was an altar boy, served communion in the church, uh, did all that stuff. And uh, then I had this supernatural encounter with God. And the first Sunday that I went to a new beginner's class, they happened to be talking about tithing. So I have tithed since my first week as a Christian. I have. You mean to tell me you've given 10% of everything you've made away to the Lord, to the church, since the first day you were a Christian. Yep, I was 17 years old. I've tithed since I was 17. I have not, not tithed, does that make any sense, in my entire journey as a Christian. Do I look like I'm suffering? Has it somehow impoverished me and, and broke me to be, uh, participate in God's plan? I mean, if you just look at the girth of me alone, you can tell I'm not starving. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, the reality is, is that Bible says God will be a debtor to no man. If God says, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another, then how much more would the author of the book be in debt to you? No, he won't be. He will not be a debtor to any man. He set a principle down, and if you follow it, you'll be blessed. That's what he said. Well, that was Old Testament. Okay, you can throw that argument at me, but if you want to get into the New Testament, 
I mean, the story actually gets more extreme. You get the stories like the widow's mite where she gave the last thing that she had. You get the, the, the stories where the offerings that were taken up for Jerusalem, where they, they gave, even in their lack, they gave, the Bible says. I mean, every example of giving in the New Testament is more extreme than the tithe in the Old. I'm just saying, that's, you can search it out for yourself. That's just a fact. So if you're going to use, well, I believe in New Testament giving. Oh, really? Okay. That's awesome then. So you're going to be giving till, a, till it practically destroys you? Is that what you're talking about? Till, till you can't give anymore? Praise the Lord. I mean, it's going to be fantastic around here. You know what I'm saying? I mean, try it. You can look through the scripture, folks. You can look through the scripture. New Testament giving outdoes the tithe every single time. So if that's your argument, oh, I'm a New Testament Christian. I just give New Testament giving. Praise the Lord. You better just search out what the Bible says about that. And the point is, is, is not, you know, I preach a message like this, and I get talking about money. People say, you just want more money. I don't, I don't get more money based on what I'm telling you. We set it up that way so that we all have salaries, and we work just like the rest of you do. It doesn't change my financial position at all. But it does mean that we are able to meet our obligations as a church, that we have everything from our financial commitments to our missions and all the rest of it. And it means that we can dream about what else we can do for the kingdom. That's what it means. But does it change me personally? Nope. What it does is enable us to engage in fulfilling God's mandate on the planet. Amen? So I looked up that word investment, too. I don't know what you, but I, I, I love the dictionary. I read the dictionary sometimes just for fun. My screensaver is words that pop up, and, and they float across the screen, and then one of them stops, and it gives me the definition of it, and I learn new words that way. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. It's a sickness. So, uh, but <laughs> investment, it says this, put money into financial schemes, shares, property, or a commercial venture with the what? Everybody say expectation. The expectation of achieving a profit. It is to devote one's time, effort, or energy to a particular undertaking with the expectation, there that word again, the expectation of a worthwhile result. And finally, investment is to provide or endow someone or something with a particular quality or attribute. That's what the word investment uh, means. And when we bring that over to the kingdom, when we start talking about kingdom things, what does that mean? When you understand the importance of your inheritance, then you're going to invest. And investment will mean this. It'll mean putting money into the uh, financial enterprises, the things that we're doing as a church. You'll put money into it. One of the, the biggest struggles we have as a church, because we put a lot of missions things out there and a lot of things because we're just passionate about giving. And one of the biggest struggles we have is that, is that you know, we operate... And, and set our budget based on our general giving, which is people's tithes and offerings. And then what will happen is people will hear about something that's really important coming up, like a, you know, taking an offering up for a missionary or something, and then they'll strike out tithe on their envelope and change it to the missionary. And that's great. means we get to give that money to the missionary, but that means that that's money the church doesn't have to keep the lights on. Because it gets, you know, the idea is that you're supposed to go, oh, here's a chance for me to give something more. Everybody say more. More to the kingdom. More. More to the king. That's what it is. It's an opportunity to give more. My wife and I love giving. It's one of my favorite things. I love to give. I absolutely love to give. And uh, rarely does an opportunity come by that I just don't jump off the bench and get involved. I love 
to give. Uh, devote one's time, effort, or energy to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. Kingdom investment is about devoting your time and your energy to the undertaking of the kingdom. And is with the expectation of a worthwhile result. I've given my life to this because I believe in the results. I believe in the things that I see. Changed lives, transformed homes, families that are, are no longer destroyed. I believe in communities being built and, and, and health being brought to people and the gospel being preached. I believe in this stuff. I believe that nothing can change our world but the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of the political strife and the backbiting and the envy and all the rest of it, it can only be broken by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. I believe it. I believe that with all my heart. Socialism is not going to cure it. Communism is not going to cure it. Capitalism is not going to cure it. Democracy won't cure it. Jesus will cure it. Are you hearing me this morning? Only Jesus will cure it. So I believe in devoting myself to that. And I believe, I believe in investing, providing and endowing somebody else. I believe in investing in somebody else to be able to do what they're called to do as well. I believe in that kind of investment. And I've been the recipient of that kind of investment. People have invested in me that have enabled me to be able to do other things and been able to go places and to preach places and to uh, administer the gospel because of a belief to endow somebody else with the ability to do something. And finally, all right, partnership with God is the most rewarding way to live. Although the responsibility is great and the investment is high, the return is immeasurable. Everybody say immeasurable. There is no way for me to quantify what Jesus has done in my life. I have invested a lot. That's true. I have poured my life into it. That's true. But the, but the rewards, the rewards have been immeasurable. Immeasurable. I look at my life and I see all the things that God has done in my family and in my children and my grandchildren. Immeasurable. I look at all of the, 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 the people that take the journey with us and walk with us and, 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 and come into our lives and work with us. There's no price tag you can put on. It's immeasurable. And no matter what investment I've made, no matter what responsibility I've had to take, no matter what I've had to do, the results have been fantastic. It is absolutely the best way to live. The best way to live. There is no more rewarding way to live than to live with your eyes focused on God and His eternal kingdom. I used to have a, a desk blotter. Do you guys know what a desk blotter is? It's that, you know, they used to be made of leather. You know, now they're made of cardboard. And, they, and I had a cardboard one. I didn't have the leather version. I had a cardboard one. And it had a plastic, uh, transparent-like thing, and you could slip papers underneath it. And I had one paper underneath it. I had an 8.5 by 11, very badly photocopied uh, thing. With, I think it was supposed to be pictures of people working at various jobs around the outside. And I had this blotter sitting on my desk. And this is what it said in the middle of the blotter. It said, are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? And I used to go to my office and sit down, and that's what stared me in the face every single day. Every day, that question would be, would be speaking to me, would be challenging me. Are the things, Kevin, you're living for worth my son dying for? Now, when you interpret your life through the lens of that question, that's a strong question. Well, it's very cliche. Maybe it is, but is it ever a potent question? And it faced me every single day for years until the blotter just fell apart and uh, I got rid of the whole thing. But the questions never left me. Every day I think to myself, are the things I'm living for worth Christ dying for? 
And when I get a little bit off kilter, because I do have other passions in my life. I love football. Anybody here love football? You know what I do most Sunday afternoons? I'm exhausted. Usually after Sunday morning, I go home, I sit down, unfortunately, usually with a bag of chips, and I watch football. Confession is good for the soul. I also have to tell you, I love hockey. My wife and I, when, when the NHL playoffs are over, we disconnect our cable and we don't even bother hooking it up until sometime around December. Because the reality is I don't watch anything else on TV but football and hockey. And we're streaming football through some app called The Zone, right? Or whatever it is now. So we don't need the cable for the football, but I'm going to get a little anxious to watch more hockey in high definition as the games get more significant. So we'll hook it up sometime around Christmas. Then my wife can watch some Christmas specials, and I'll be back in the real zone watching hockey and football. So it isn't like I'm some kind of a recluse who only ever talks about one thing, and that's Jesus. I'm also very passionate about politics. You can talk to me about politics. I can engage Canadian politics. I can jump south of the border. I can talk American politics. I love talking politics. Love it. Love it. But sometimes in my life it gets out of balance where I'm more wrapped up in the hockey, the football, and the politics than I am in the things that are worth Christ dying for, which is the gospel, my family, my wife. Are you hearing me today? And we got to get that back into perspective. Are the things that you're putting all that effort into now, now, folks, I know you get your kids involved in stuff and sports and everything else, but can I tell you that if you get your kids playing every sport in the world and you get them really successful at it, but you don't give them Jesus, you failed. There's nothing wrong with having your kids involved in stuff, but let this question be for them, too, so that the things that they're involved in don't become more important than the things that are worth Christ dying for. You've got to keep that in front of them, too. Is that, is that good inheritance to put into your children? Praise the Lord. All right. The truth is, living your life for yourself is an empty way to live. It's a terribly empty, empty way to live. How do I know that? I know that because I see all the empty people that are supposedly our heroes today in our culture. It's particularly bad in Hollywood and the music industry. You read about suicides and people overdosing on drugs and everything else because a completely self-indulgent life is an extremely empty way to live. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's an absolutely horrible way to live. One writer said it this way. He said, a person wrapped up in themselves makes a very small package. And the the more self-indulgent you are, the smaller you are. The less of a difference that you make. Hear what I'm saying? The less difference you make. If you're wrapped up in yourself, you're not impacting anybody else except in a negative way, by the demands that you make for yourself. You're not changing the world, except in a negative way. Are you hearing me at all today? Get out of yourself. Oh, it's a terrible way to live. Shed that and begin to think about others and what you can do to change the lives of others. That is what makes life rewarding. When I was first saved, uh, my supports were people other than my own family. My parents were not exactly excited about me becoming a born-again Christian. In fact, they did everything they could to discourage me from participating in this born-again Christian thing, all right? Uh, Let's just suffice to say it was not a peaceful decision in our home. And uh, so my supports came from the church family. In particular, the girl that I was dating at the time, 
her parents went to the church, and her, her dad, in particular, was like Barry. He was the king of one-liners, right? Barry's got a one-liner for everything, and I love them. I mean, it's just like, bam, bam. But, but Claire was like that as well. He had one-liners for me, for everything. And, and I remember many times he'd sit down, and he'd talk me uh, through something I was going through, and he would always drop some one-liner in there to kind of, you know, uh, and, and so he always had those. And one, one liner that he gave me that is, was one of the most cliche statements in the world, but it was new to me when I was a young Christian. You may have heard this a hundred times before, but I think this sums up what we're talking about here this morning. So let me pretty much conclude with this statement. You do your best and God will do the rest. I was facing some difficult decision and I didn't know how I was going to make it through. And Claire just looked at me and said, Kevin, just do your best. Do your very best and God will do the rest. Here's the news for you this morning. That's what our partnership with God is. We do our best, and the rest is up to Him. It's an incredibly, you know, loaded partnership. It's, it's, there's a lot more of it on Him than there is on us. That doesn't mean we don't have any obligations. We've already talked about that this morning. We have plenty. But there's a lot more of it on Him than there is on us. If He doesn't show up, it's never going to happen. If you don't show up, he'll probably find somebody else to get the job done. Are you hearing me this morning? But he'd much rather do it through you. He'd much rather have you take your responsibility and do it with him. But if you'll do your best, I can promise you God will do the rest. Now that is about as cliche as you can get. But I'll bet you'll remember it when you walk out of here today. Do your best and God will do the rest. That has lived with me my whole life since I became a Christian. 17 years of age. Do your best, Kevin. God will do the rest. So that's why I like to do my best at everything I do. I try to do my best. You know, I can't say that it's always the case that it's my very best. I'm sure if it is, then I'd never have one when I could compare one to being better than the other. But I give it my best. I try to focus my energy into it and to give it my best because I know that God's going to do the rest. So how do you do it with your your best? You do it with your best attitude. You do it with your best faith. You do it with taking the best responsibility path that you can take by, you, you know, investing, your best investment. Not just an average investment, your best investment. Praying, giving, sharing, uh, application of the word to your life. Give it your best, your best, your very, very best. And God will do the rest. Amen? Amen. Since it's not on the wall every morning, I've been putting it up at the end of the message. Let's stand together. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all, everybody say all, all that we can ask or even imagine. To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The best. It's going to take responsibility and investment, but it's the best way to live. I promise you. I promise you. I've not met anybody yet on their deathbed who said to me, Pastor, I just wish I'd worked more. I wish I had spent more time at work and less time with my family. I just wish I'd done that, you know, just more. If I'd have just done more, look what, I could have made more money, so I could have bought more. I never met anybody yet who said, I wish I'd bought more stuff. Pastor, I wish I had more stuff that I was leaving behind. I don't have enough stuff that I'm leaving behind. Pastor, I wish I had more. Nope. Never met anybody who said either one of those things. But I have met people that have said, I wish I'd spent more time with my family and worked less. 
I have met people who said, I wish I had invested more money in things that mattered and more of my time in things that mattered rather than in myself. I've met tons of people that have had those kind of regrets. Don't be one of them. Responsibility, investment. It's the best way to live. Responsibility and investment. It's the best way to live. Next Sunday, you make sure you're here. Hog tie somebody, drag them out. You know, invite your neighbor, invite your enemies, invite anybody that you can get. It's Thanksgiving Sunday. Let's pack the place out and worship the Lord. Love on him. It's going to be awesome. All I can tell you is it involves shopping carts. And uh, it will be a great, great Sunday. I'm not going to tell you any more than that, but, you know, it's, it involved, next Sunday involves shopping carts. And uh, we're going to have a great day in the house of the Lord. Would you just hold out your hands like this to the Lord this morning as we close? Father, these hands are stretched out to you today, and I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to show these hands, Father, what it is that you want them to do to take responsibility in your kingdom. Father, show them how they can, Father, forge a partnership with you that, where they take the responsibility for what they need to do and what they can do. And then, Father, I ask you to show them how they can use these hands to invest so that, God, they can invest in your kingdom work, in your uh, eternal work. And, Father, that then you would pour into these hands, Father, and reveal to these hands how, what an awesome way it is to live in the kingdom, that there is no better way to live than kingdom life. And, Father, I thank you today for this. Lord, we are taking responsibility. We are investing uh, like never before, and we are going to experience the greatest life that we could possibly experience in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would uh, like prayer this morning, uh, we're here to pray for you. We believe in the power of prayer. You might be sitting here listening to that and say, I don't know how to get, take responsibility. I don't know how to make an investment. We'd like to pray through this morning because guess what? We all start somewhere, and today could be the beginning for you. We'd love to pray for you this morning. Just come out up the front. Pastor Mark's here with me. Uh, Barry's abandoned us this week, but we'll, we'll see what we can do to, to make it through. Uh, God bless you. Have an amazing week in Jesus, and we'll see you next Sunday. Uh, which is Thanksgiving Sunday. Don't miss it.